Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 6. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're at the right podcast. Today I'm talking about Season 6, Episode 18, Entropy, where Anya and Spike both struggle with rejection and Xander is once again horrible to everyone. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. You can find my fiction at lisalilly.com. Along with a breakdown of entropy, I'll talk about locked or unresolvable conflicts that abound except for Tara and Willow, and for a change, Buffy and Dawn. How Xander and Anya and Spike and Buffy mirror one another. Why Dawn is so much more interesting and likable in this episode. Exposition that is told in an engaging and natural way through character conflict and scene cuts that maximize emotional impact and keep entropy moving fast. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end when I talk about foreshadowing. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. Entropy aired the first time on April 30, 2002, and it was written by Drew Z. Greenberg and directed by James A. Contner. And I looked up the definition of entropy because it's one of those words I feel like I know but couldn't articulate the definition. Dictionary.com says it is the, quote, lack of order or predictability, gradual decline into disorder, and quote, a pretty good description of what happens here. We start, as we should, with some opening conflict to draw the audience in. In this case, it pulls us into both a bit of the season-long arc of the Geek Trio and the Buffy Spike subplot for the episode, which is also a season-long arc. At the Sunnydale Cemetery, two vampires flee from the trio. Our three guys are on ATVs. The vampires throw branches at them and run them off the road. And Jonathan says, we need that disc. The two vampires run into Buffy. The trio watches her fight, staying out of sight, and one of the vampires drops this shiny disc, and Buffy doesn't notice it. Warren sneaks over and snatches it, and the trio takes off without Buffy ever knowing they are there. One of the vampires has temporarily gotten the better of Buffy. He's towering over her. She's lying on her back. And Spike appears. He's sitting high on one of the stone walls, and he grabs the other vampire by the neck. Its legs are dangling, and Spike says to Buffy, how you doing? Buffy responds, oh, fine. You know, same old, same old, as she tries to hold off the vampire. And Spike says, here, I could take care of this guy if you want. Buffy says, whatever, your call. Spike responds, I mean, sure, he don't look like much, but I'd wager he could give you a bit of nasty, save you the staking. All you got to do is, and Buffy says, I am not telling my friends about us. And she stakes the vampire that's fighting her. Tell Spike, go ahead and tell her friends. She tried to kill them and her sister last week, and she says, guess how much they hate me? Zero. Zero much. So I'm thinking, sleeping with you, 
Baldio. And interesting foreshadowing of the fact that at the end of the episode, the friends do find out, and it is a little more disruptive than Buffy guessed. Spike lets the vampire he was holding go. It runs after Buffy, who's walking away, and Spike says, in that case, why won't you sleep with me again? The vampire turns and gives Spike a quizzical look, and Buffy stakes it and says, because I don't love you. And as she walks off, Spike says, like hell. This whole scene was a great way to quickly get in both Spike's and Buffy's backstory, but the fact that this conflict continues, Spike is still hoping and Buffy is sticking to her choice to end it. It feels very natural, given how Spike feels that this conversation would happen. At two minutes, 39 seconds, the scene shifts to Xander drinking a beer alone to sad music, but he turns off the music and leaves the apartment. We're not to 10% through the episode yet, which is often where we see the story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. But we have already had a spark in the Buffy Spike subplot where Spike tries to resolve his feelings about Buffy. I see the spark there as Buffy telling Spike once again that she doesn't love him and him saying like hell. So we know he does not believe her or does not want to believe her despite that they've had this conversation before. For the main plot, which is Anya versus Xander, the story spark happens in a moment because as Xander walks down the sidewalk, Anya watches him from the bushes, hidden. This isn't a terribly active story spark, but Anya has been away, so she has returned to Sunnydale. The fact that she's returned and is watching Xander sparks this story. And at 3 minutes 41 seconds, we go to credits. We return right about 10% through at 4 minutes 32 seconds and get a story spark for the Tara and Willow subplot. Tara is leaving class. Willow is waiting there. And Willow says, look at you, all coming out of class and everything. And Tara says, I do that sometimes, usually at the end part of the class. Tara asks how Willow is feeling after the events of last week. Another reference to Buffy trying to kill everyone, and I forgot to mention that. That was such a great way to get that in at the beginning of the episode that Buffy did try to kill everybody. So now we know what Willow and Tara are talking about. Willow says she's doing okay, and Tara says, and Buffy's okay too, enjoying the refreshing sanity and so forth. Willow starts to laugh a little too much, but dials it back and Tara comments on Willow showing up after class becoming a sort of habit and Tara says only this time you stuck around Willow says uh um various sounds of hesitation Tara assures her though that the other girl Willow saw was just a friend Willow says officially she has no idea what Tara's talking about Tara jokes with her and agrees right off when Willow proposes coffee, though there's an awkward moment when Willow says Tara could bring her friend, and Tara doesn't want to unless Willow wants to bring a friend, and finally they both happily agree that they will not be bringing friends. 
another great example of getting out the conflict between the two of them through very natural conversation. Even if we hadn't seen the previous episodes, we would know that they had this relationship that Willow has approached Tara before, but then stopped short because Tara was with somebody. And their awkwardness and kindness to each other tells us that they are working on reconnecting. Plus, we got that little aside to tell us that Buffy was kind of out of her mind when she tried to kill her friends. The scene cuts to a very sunny afternoon in Sunnydale. Buffy and Dawn try to go shopping together, but it's tough. And again, very quick exposition here that is fun because Buffy says as they pause near a store, okay, how about this one? Dawn responds, uh, three pairs of earrings, a coin purse, and a toothbrush. Buffy says, you stole a toothbrush? Dawn responds, a mother of pearl handle, very fancy. Buffy says, yeah, but you stole a toothbrush. As far as rebellious teenagers go, you're kind of square. And Dawn says, dental hygiene is important. Buffy suggests going to the pet store to look at the puppies, which Dawn loves. Dawn jokes about how she took a pocket full of goldfish and then reminds Buffy that she loved the puppies when she was five or six, but now that she knows about puppy mills, it's not so appealing. Dawn assures Buffy that she is working things out with the stores, returning what she can, and paying for the rest. Great way to get in Dawn's shoplifting. And that reference to Dawn's age, when Dawn said, when I was five or six, it made me think about how she's the key and she wasn't actually ever five or six. At 7 minutes 47 seconds, Jonathan works on some sort of laboratory project, but he's not too happy and he mutters under his breath about how they will all be deader than Warren's ex-girlfriend if it goes wrong. This is in response to Warren pushing Jonathan to work faster. Jonathan also reminds Warren that they all agreed that after this project, they're done. They each take their share and call it a day. Warren tells him, cheer up. They're all about to get everything they ever wanted. Jonathan nods, but he looks angry and skeptical. As he keeps working, Warren and Andrew talk quietly off to the side. Andrew feels a little sorry for Jonathan, which Warren tells him is weakness. Andrew also worries they can't trust Jonathan, and Warren says they won't need to for much longer. And trying to tell Andrew how quick that time will come, he uses an analogy about when the milk in the fridge will expire, and Andrew takes it very literally and starts trying to figure out exactly when they bought the milk. This scene continues the very, very, very slow burn of whatever the geek trio are doing throughout the season or have been doing since they went into hiding. As I've mentioned before, I am frustrated with that in the season, but one thing I admire about how the writers handle the trio is that each character is distinct. That is really tricky to do when you are dealing with characters who are aligned and who we only see now and then. Warren, Jonathan, and Andrew are the villains, 
And it can be hard sometimes to make one villain three-dimensional because when you're creating them, they are there to push against the protagonist. And it can be easy to default to just a generic villain who does that or antagonist who does that. And here we have three of them and each one is different. At 9 minutes 30 seconds, Xander comes home and finds Anya waiting in the apartment. He rushes to her, asks how she is, and she she sarcastically answers, Ducky, you. Throughout the episode, there is fantastic conflict between Xander and Anya that arises out of their deep emotions. It's not what I call false conflict, where if only the characters would just talk to each other openly, it would be resolved, or where it's a conflict just because they are using different words and not understanding each other. Here, they have what's called a locked conflict, meaning the two characters have mutually exclusive goals. Anya wants to continue the relationship with Xander as a married couple. And she wants them to be married now, not some amorphous, vague time, maybe, possibly in the future. Xander wants to continue the relationship with Anya, but he absolutely does not want to get married now and might be fooling himself that he'll ever be ready. So this is a conflict where they cannot both get what they want. But neither of them knows that yet, and it becomes apparent in this conversation. Xander first tells her how awful he feels about what happened, and she seems very moved. And he says, But you gotta believe me, please. I wanna make up for it. I wanna take the hurt away. I love you so much. I may have practiced that a couple times in front of the mirror. Anya says she doesn't understand what happened. Xander says he does. All he had to do was say something earlier. Anya starts looking puzzled and she takes a couple steps back from him and asks what he means. Xander says, no, no. I mean, you know, if I were like more self-aware because with the whole idiot thing, because he called himself an idiot earlier in the conversation, Anya asks about him stopping the wedding and what he wanted. And he says he didn't practice this part. She asks him straight out, does he still want to get married? And he tells her it's complicated. And I love Anya's answer. She says, no, actually, it's really not. It's kind of an either or deal. Xander, though, tells her he wants to get married someday when they're ready. And he tries to tell her that's not a bad thing. He reiterates how much he loves her and says he's just trying to be honest. Anya congratulates him on being honest now and wonders what the medal will say. Now we're at the one-quarter twist, what I call that first major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. And it does all these things here. This story is both Anya's and Xander's. The main plot is Anya's. We get the most from her point of view. But there is a Xander subplot. He, too, is trying to resolve this relationship and to continue it. Anya turns her back on Xander, and as he goes on about them wanting to be together, her vengeance demon face appears, and she says, and I wish you were never born at 12 minutes, 14 seconds, so a little more than a quarter way through. So when Xander's subplot, that is the turn. It comes from outside of him, Anya being the vengeance demon again and wanting vengeance. 
in the main plot for Anya, the turn comes in the next moment because nothing happens to Xander when she makes that wish. So she chose to try to wish vengeance, but from outside of her, basically are what we find out are the rules. She can't make the wish, so she is thwarted, and that spins the story. And for both of them, this raises the stakes for Anya in an emotional way, also for Xander in an emotional way, but in a physical way, because Anya really does want to hurt him and potentially could do so. And we cut to a commercial. On return, Xander stutters and stumbles trying to explain himself, and Anya says, I wish you felt the pain of a thousand searing pokers boiling your heart in its own juices. And Xander says, I know, honey, I totally deserve that, which drives Anya crazy. She says, I wish you had tentacles where your beady eyes should be. And she keeps stating wishes and is so frustrated because nothing happens to Xander. She's temporarily happy when he says his gut hurts so bad after she wishes that they would twist in knots but then she gets angry and says those are metaphor intestines you're not in real pain what's wrong with me meaning why can't she curse him but he takes it in a different way and tells her it's not her it's him and Anya frustrated kind of smacks him on the shoulder and storms out A lovely example of something we'll see later with Spike and Anya where two people are sharing genuine feelings but aren't really talking about the same thing. The next day at Coffee with Halfrek, Anya is distracted and misses Hallie's story about giving a guy paper cuts anytime he touches a check that's not for his child, which I think is brilliant in terms of vengeance. And Hallie says, okay, do they not teach listening skills in the human world? This is a line I would love to be able to use sometimes because really, for the most part, I do not think we teach listening skills very well in the human world. Anya explains what's going on with Xander and Hallie reminds her that she can't wish vengeance for herself and says, how long have you been away? She suggests Anya could try to get someone else to make a wish for her. At 14 minutes, 20 seconds, Dawn enters the kitchen in the morning. Buffy is making a very large breakfast and Dawn wonders if they opened a restaurant chain, the International House of Something. She realizes that Buffy is trying very hard to make up for trying to kill Dawn and everybody. Buffy suggests they stay in that night and have pizza. Dawn assures Buffy she'll be okay with, quote, the basement thing, end quote. Buffy claims she just wants to spend time together. This is the start of Dawn being very empathetic in this episode and very kind to Buffy. She really puts herself in Buffy's shoes, which is kind of unusual for Dawn. Buffy now worries she's cramping Dawn's, quote, teenage style, end quote. A line that has never quite worked for me. I know that Buffy is feeling she stepped into the mom role. She has had to do that, but Buffy is only a couple years from being a teenager, and I I feel like she wouldn't flip into being quite that awkward. Dawn says, why don't I come patrolling with you tonight? And Buffy says, oh, and then maybe we could invite some strangers over and ask them to feed you candy. Dawn points out that Buffy and her friends went patrolling every night when they were Dawn's age. So I guess she is about more like about 14. And Buffy says, true, but technically you're one and a half. 
I love this reference to Dawn being the key, which you only get if you are a longtime viewer because there is no other explanation. Buffy says she wants to protect Dawn from all the things that want to kill her. Dawn points out that since she is the Slayer's sister, those things find her anyway. And Buffy reasonably responds that that's all the more reason not to go looking for those things. The scene cuts to Willow and Tara. They are also having coffee and we catch the middle of a conversation where Willow references some supernatural adventures Tara missed. Anya interrupts them. Willow hugs her. Tara says they've been so worried about her. Anya talks about how hard it all was and then pulls up a chair. They ask if she's back and she says it's complicated, which is the least forthright that we usually see Anya being because she doesn't fess up to being a vengeance demon. I wouldn't expect her to, but she still is being somewhat honest by not just agreeing that she's back because she isn't back in the sense of being ready to be part of the Scoobies again. She has set herself apart, whether they know it or not. And it's interesting that she's using Xander's words about how he felt about marriage, the it's complicated. They ask if there's anything they can do, and Anya says there is, and goes on, you're lesbians, so the hating of men will come in handy. Let's talk about Xander. The scene cuts to dawn, and this is the start of some wonderful cuts between scenes where the pieces of the conversation with different people link up and we get the feeling of overall how every conversation goes without repeating the same conversation over and over because after the let's talk about Xander, we cut to Dawn and Dawn tells her Xander feels awful. Anya asks what if it were Dawn and she dreamed her whole life of this magical day and Xander ruined it. Now we cut to Tara and Willow who tell her it's not so much about the hating of men but focusing on girl and girl action. She tries to get them angry about how men like Xander view that. Then we cut to her with Buffy on the porch and Buffy says I don't think he could feel any worse and Anya says let's test that theory. Roberta Lip of the They Coined It podcast commented on Normal Again and said, you did such a good job with this episode, I wasn't sure how it would land in your structure. I always got the impression that when Buffy saw the first vampires and was in treatment, she was a lot younger. I just always pictured it as around 10 or 11. Being as she never told anyone about it and tried to put it behind her Don Draper style, it fits either way. And there is no excuse and no forgiveness for how Dawn was written. Teenagers behave all kinds of ways and they act out and they're really immature, but not like her. So first on the idea that Buffy might have been 10 or 11, I think that's really interesting. It probably doesn't fit because I think the show was alluding to when we see Angel watching Buffy and that other watcher comes to her, but it, it could have been earlier. And as Roberta says, either way, Buffy put it behind her and said it never happened, which is very much how Don Draper in Mad Men deals with so much of his life. Just put it aside and don't think about it again. 
And I agree, it is believable that in that case, Buffy would not ever mention it, especially to her new friends, and she and Joyce would not directly talk about it. As far as Dawn goes, I appreciated the comment from Roberta because as those of you who listen know, I found Dawn just so hard to take in the last episode. Despite that, I know from experience that it can be difficult, even when you know someone's mentally ill, if the things they are doing and saying are really hurtful to you. It's hard not to take it personally, but I still feel like Dawn, I would have liked her so much better if she were the Dawn in this episode. I mentioned to Roberta in response to her comment on the Facebook page that it got me wondering, does it depend who writes Dawn? Do some writers give her more layers and nuances and empathy or some directors? But a quick check, at least of this season, uh, undermines that theory because Drew Z. Greenberg, who wrote this episode where I love Dawn, also wrote Older and Far Away, where Dawn really annoyed me. That was the Buffy's birthday episode where Dawn storms upstairs and throws herself on the bed and shrieks at everyone. I also looked to see if it's the director because James A. Cotner directed this one, but he also directed Dead Things where Dawn is a little bit sympathetic to Buffy when Buffy wakes her in the middle of the night, but then is kind of awful to her. Although it is a little more understandable there because of Dawn's uh, abandonment fears, which of course she would have. Roberta also says, watch Pen15 for a great portrayal of immature young teens. So I'll have to check out that series. Other people have recommended it to me as well. So if I do, I'll let you know how I think it compares to Dawn as she is often written in Buffy. Thanks as always to Roberta for the comment. And if any of you want to comment, you could do that on the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page, on Twitter, which is now X. I'm at Lisa M. Lily or on Instagram, also at Lisa M. Lily. Anya tries to prompt Buffy to wish something, and the scene cuts to Dawn, who says, I never use that word anymore. When Anya asks her to clarify what word, Dawn spells it W-I-S-H. After more prompting, Dawn reminds her there are still vengeance demons out there and goes on, any I wish can totally end in horrible grossness. Anya says, give me a for instance, and it cuts to Buffy, who seems to be responding to that same question and says she doesn't think she should. She tells Anya she feels for her. We cut to Anya trying to trap Dawn by playing word games. And Dawn says she's there, they're at the magic box, to talk about working off her debt. But Anya quickly wants to go back to Xander, which tells you where she is at emotionally or underscores it, we already know. But normally that working off the debt thing would be a priority to Anya. Anya now says to Buffy, squish, squish, squish. Guys have been running roughshod over you for years, torturing that perky little ticker. Aren't you sick of it? Don't you wish guys like that? And Buffy says, whoa, guys, there have only been four, three, three guys. That's barely plural. And Anya says, and didn't each of them rip your heart out? 
This is a quick reference to Buffy keeping Spike a secret that switch from four to three. Anya doesn't pick up on it because she is so intent on her goals, but it is a good foreshadowing for the audience that Anya will ultimately find out and also of Dawn later sympathizing with Buffy and and saying it must be so hard to feel like you had to hide this. We see Buffy here, the extra stress it puts on her. Anya keeps trying with Buffy. Then we see her with Willow and Tara who still resist and Anya finally asks what kind of lesbians they are. She then accuses Buffy of taking Xander's part because he's Buffy's friend and Anya's not. Buffy denies that, takes Anya's arm, and starts to wish something. She says, look, I wish that. But at 20 minutes, 25 seconds, Xander walks up and interrupts. That is the second time someone said, I wish. The first time was Anya. Well, she says it multiple times, but Anya first tries to make wishes. Now Buffy utters the words, I wish, but she's probably not going where Anya wants her to and Xander interrupts anyway. Anya congratulates him on all his friends, all still loving him despite what he did, and she stalks off. He starts to follow, saying to Buffy, I have to go after her. And Buffy says, or in the land of the sane, you could give her some space, let her cool down. Xander responds, that's not proactive guy, that's sit around and watch the rest of your life turn to crap guy. And Buffy tells him true, but at least crap guy gets to keep all of his appendages. I briefly wondered if Buffy suspected Anya returned to her demon ways. The way things play out, I don't think so. In his frustration, Xander kicks a lawn gnome that's by the tree where Spike often lurks. Buffy doesn't recognize the quote creepy little thing and quote and wonders where it came from. It broke and Xander discovers it has a small camera inside. He asks who's obsessed with Buffy, likes to hang out in her yard and keep tabs on her, and who's in love with her and not getting any. More foreshadowing, he is so sure of how sad, pathetic Spike isn't getting any and no one would want him and yet Anya and Buffy both do. We're nearing the midpoint of the episode where in most stories with a strong plot structure or even ones that don't have an otherwise strong plot structure, typically the protagonist makes a major commitment, throws caution to the wind, suffers a huge reversal or both. I feel like this episode moves very well and yet I don't think there is one single strong midpoint, but there are very significant developments in all of the stories. Anya, the protagonist in the main plot, does suffer a major reversal a bit before the midpoint. And it is that moment where it hits her, she's with Buffy, that all her efforts got her nowhere. She tried and tried and tried. She pulled out all the stops, all the trickery she's ever used, played on all their emotions, and she cannot get vengeance this way. So that is the major reversal for her. Now Spike is going to have a reversal at 21 minutes 24 seconds. Buffy shows Spike the camera at his crypt and he looks 
puzzled. She says Xander thinks he put it there, and he says, oh, the great Xander thinks so? Shudder, gasp, it must be true. Spike's offended that Buffy accused him and that she really thinks he'd spy on her. She reminds him that he does lie, cheat, steal, and manipulate, but he says, I don't hurt you. She dials it down. She says she knows, but he says she doesn't. She doesn't get that the way he feels about her changed him, but she won't see it. He insists it's real and how he feels is real, and Buffy says she thinks it is for him. She starts to leave, but turns back and says she knows it's not what he wants to hear, and she's sorry, but he has to move on and get over. He cuts her off and tells her to get out. This is a reversal for Spike. It really hits home for him. Buffy is not going to change her mind. She's not going to come back. And also, though it was Xander's idea that Spike put the camera there, she believed he might do it. She backpedaled on it a bit, but she did think so. And it shows him how she sees him. Buffy and Spike also have a locked conflict here. They have mutually exclusive goals. Spike wants Buffy to return his love, to love him, to admit she loves him, and to be with him. Buffy doesn't love him, and she wants them to both go on separately and be happy. Those two goals cannot both be met. I love that for this episode. This is a very strong conflict. In the season as a whole, I do have a little bit of frustration because we have played this Buffy Spike scene several times. I understand that's part of the season arc, part of why Spike keeps trying and won't accept it because they do keep playing this out. And while in real life that's fairly realistic, in fiction it robs the moment and the conflict of some of its power because it's hard to know when, okay, this is finally it. But within this episode, it works really, really well. And I think that we do see that Spike has finally accepted this because of how he reacts to this conversation. And this is a way that Buffy and Spike and Xander and Anya mirror one another because their conflicts are very similar in terms of wanting the other person to want what they want. At 23 minutes, 17 seconds at the magic box, Anya tells Helfrick that no one will curse Xander. Hallie points out that if Anya really wants retribution, she needs to get a wish from someone who doesn't love Xander, not from his friends. Anya asks how she's supposed to do that. Her social circle is small and she's not likely to, quote, stumble on someone who doesn't give a fig's ass if Xander gets hurt, end quote. And at that moment, Spike walks in and we cut to a commercial. A fantastic cliffhanger because we know how Spike feels about Xander, especially given that camera accusation. On return from the commercial, Anya smiles and says to Spike, so what's your pleasure? Spike says, fresh out of pleasure, that's why I'm here. He wants a numbing spell. This tells us both that he does seem to have accepted that it's over with Buffy. Also, it shows some character growth 
through the series for Spike. When he was struggling to deal with the loss of Drusilla, he wanted a spell to get revenge on her. He wanted a spell to make her love him. And here, he doesn't seek out a spell to try to control or change Buffy, he just wants to dull the pain. Hallie gives Anya a look and they step aside out of Spike's hearing, theoretically, to talk. Surely he could hear because they're not that far away. But Anya says, oh my god, Spike hates Xander. Maybe I can get him to wish. Ah, damn it. If only he were a woman. Oh, got it. If I can somehow get someone to wish that Spike were a woman, then I could go to him. Well, he'd be a her by then, but then I could go to her. And Hallie cuts her off and says, Anyanka, there's an easier way. And she points out that, yes, Anya has this whole female power thing, which is great, but, quote, men need a little vengeance now and then, too, end quote, and tells her maybe this is her chance. Hallie leaves. So Anya here now makes a commitment, which is to get Spike to make a wish. This is more strong movement in the story. We had a reversal a little before the midpoint. This is about 25 minutes through, and now she makes a commitment. Spike really might make that wish. The odds were against the friends doing it unless Anya managed to trick them, but they are very aware of vengeance demons and the word wish. And Spike not only doesn't care about Xander, he actively can't stand him. Spike tells Anya he's looking for something to dull the ache. She reaches into a drawer as she says, Giles left a couple supplies here that I think just might help. Eases the hurt, makes the sun shine a little brighter, even makes boring people seem more interesting. Ah, here. She pulls out a whiskey bottle and Spike gives her a wry grin. Buffy sits with Willow in the dining room. Willow's trying to track the signal for that camera. Sanders not quite ready to concede it's not Spike, but if it's not, they all know who it must be. And Buffy says, I want to find those guys. This adds to my sense of a lack of power for the villains and the villain arc for the season because it feels like Buffy's been saying this forever. Find me these guys. I have to find these guys. It's a little like when Glory just disappeared for certain episodes, except that Glory overall felt more powerful, both because she was a god and because she had a specific goal that we knew about that put Dawn in danger. She was going after the key. And here, we don't know what the long game of the trio is. Yes, they had things early on about getting chicks, chicks, chicks and something about robots and taking over the town. But because they're written partly for comedy and because they don't all share the same goals, it isn't one driving goal that we know they're after. And it makes them feel like less of a danger, even though, as I've talked about, they do pose great danger. They killed Katrina and they almost got Buffy to kill her friends and Dawn. At this mention of the trio, the scene cuts to them. Jonathan has just finished a spell with that disc they snatched earlier. I do not think on any watching that I noticed that it was the disc they grabbed earlier. Every time I forgot about that disc, 
And I only noticed this time because before I rewatch, I typically read a recap of it online and the recap mentioned the disc. And this is another example of not being clear about what the trio is doing. That could also be because these guys have never really engaged me. So it's possible I just don't pay that much attention to what they do. Jonathan says uncover and a light shines onto a map. I think it goes through that disc. And now they say they know where they have to go, except the map catches fire. And we also don't know why they need to go there. And we aren't going to find out in this episode. Not telling the audience everything can be really powerful. It creates story questions that keeps the audience coming back. It has them do some work to fill in the blanks, which usually engages people more with the story. But it also can be taken too far to the point where if you're me, you just don't really care what these guys are doing. The scene cuts to Anya and Spike who are drinking together and commiserating. And Spike says, so then this girl says, real for you. Anya talks about Xander. Spike thinks she shouldn't waste any more breath on him. Anya, though, points out how Xander humiliated her and no one seems to care. Spike says, I care. What he done to you? I'd never stoop that low. And I'm an evil, soulless thing, according to some people. This foreshadows what Xander will say about Spike in the end, though here he is clearly talking about Buffy. She did call Spike that in Dead Things where the episode where Katrina was killed. So we get a number of references to that episode in this one. Anya asks if he wishes Xander had to pay. So trying to get that wish. Spike says absolutely, but he doesn't actually make a wish no matter how Anya prompts him, including one of her prompts is what do you wish you could do? And he says you name it. You're the wronged party, which is really fun because first Anya is doing all her tricks and can't get a wish because they're Xander's friends and they're very cautious and they care about Xander and here she can't get it even though Spike would happily wish vengeance on Xander but almost because he feels so strongly for her, he's not responding the way she needs. There's a quick cut to the trio who are trying to stamp out that fire and then to Willow who was near a breakthrough on the computer and back to Anya talking about how it wasn't her idea she didn't ask to be human and Spike says he didn't ask for this chip. Those cuts are a nice way to let the audience infer the growing connection between Spike and Anya. We do see it happen, but we also know that there is more in between, both that they are getting closer and they are drinking more and more, so their inhibitions are dropped a bit more each time we come back to them. At last, at least it feels like at last to me, I have a new release to tell you about the book Buffy and the Art of Story Season 3 Part 1, Write More Gripping Plots, Characters, and Themes by Watching Buffy is now available in the print edition. You can buy that on Amazon. There will be an edition for libraries and that you can get through bookstores. Later, it is in the works, but for now, you can buy it on Amazon or you can pre-order the ebook. There are links in the show notes and at lisalily.com slash 
Buffy. And for those who asked already, yes, I am working on part two, which will cover the rest of season three. I'm hoping I will get that done a little faster than I did with part one. There was a long stretch between the Buffy books, but you can now finally get season three, part one. Find it at lisalilly.com slash Buffy. Anya tells Spike at first all she wanted was to use Xander and lose him. She says, I hadn't had a good tumble in a thousand years. Spike sympathizes. They share how it all started. And he says, quote, she was all wrong. I never felt anything like it, end quote. He never says who he's talking about. And Anya doesn't ask, but she does sympathize. And she goes on that the next thing she knew, she's changing to please Xander, which also could describe Spike. It mirrors Spike changing to please Buffy. And we can see why these two connect and understand each other so well. And Anya continues, and now I'm off my guard, happy, singing in the shower and doing my sexy dance. And Spike says, exactly. But he clarifies, I have no dance. At 28 minutes, 43 seconds, Willow is again working with a computer, and she says there are other cameras. Now, Spike and Anya are toasting with shots, saying, screw them. She's sitting on one of the magic box tables. He's on a chair near her. He points out how often he saved the Scoobies as evidence of how he really did change. And he says, quote, and I can't stand the lot of you, end quote. Anya agrees about the Scoobies. Everyone's so nice. No one says what's on their mind. Spike points out that Anya does, and that's why he likes her so much, which makes her happy. And he goes on, I have nothing but respect for a woman who's forthright. Drusilla was always straightforward, didn't have a buggering clue about what was going on in front of her, but she was straight about it. That was a virtue. Anya says Xander didn't think so. He thought she was rude. Spike tells her that's because he's one of them, uptight and repressed. No wonder those two couldn't deal with Anya and Spike. They should have been dead hundreds of years ago, but they are the ones who are really alive. At 30 minutes, 9 seconds, they smile at each other. And this is another way they connect. Spike and Anya both are truth tellers. They say what's on their mind, and Spike also sees into other people's emotions and calls them out. So he gets people more than Anya. He is a more heart-based, emotional person in terms of empathy for others, or at least grasping what they're going through. But they are equally forthright and in this season the Scoobies definitely are not. They are not saying how they feel, they're not sharing, and they are uptight. Willow kind of has to be because she's trying to rein in her magic. Buffy is reining in her attraction to Spike and struggling not to let her depression and sad feelings show. And Xander tamped down on all his fear and self-doubt to get to the wedding and then it all flooded him at once. Now Willow clicks keys and calls off names of where the cameras are, the bronze, the double meat palace, Xander's construction site. She keeps looking for more but she's having trouble pinpointing them. Spike pours the last of the whiskey and gives 
gives it to Anya. They are sitting closer now on chairs next to each other. She thanks him. Spike jokes, take it quick or my chivalry will run out. She thanks him again, really sincere, saying how much it means to her to be with someone who understands. And then she's very vulnerable. She says she's been focusing on being all mad when really she can't sleep at night, thinking that it must be her fault. What if Xander never wanted her the way she wanted him? This could apply to Spike as well. What if Buffy never had the feelings for him that he has for her, that it never was the same relationship? Anya apologizes for kind of falling apart, but Spike strokes her hair and tells her Xander would be more than the git he is to not want a woman like her. And Anya says, then why? And Spike responds, the two of them, they're weak is all. But I'll tell you what, though, they'll miss the water now that the well's gone dry. More foreshadowing of how both Xander and Buffy will feel on finding out about Spike and Anya. Spike leans close. Anya asks if she can see his sexy dance, and he smiles and says, I'll show you mine. He starts to kiss her. She asks what they're doing, and at 33 minutes, 14 seconds, Spike says, moving on. We are now about three quarters through the episode. This is where usually there is another major plot turn, the last one. It grows from the midpoint and takes the story in yet another new direction. This moment with Spike is a turn in Anya's story and it grows from her midpoint reversal in not being able to get the friends to curse Sander and her commitment to try to get Spike to do it. But it turns the story because now she is not focused on vengeance. She is moving on from Xander. Now there is a turn for Buffy. Willow talks through her continued attempts to find the last few cameras. She almost has a picture. Anya and Spike pause and Anya says, you know I'm only doing this because I'm lonely and drunk and you smell really good. And Spike says, see, forthright. And they continue kissing. At 33 minutes, 41 seconds, an alarm goes off in the Geek Trio's basement. They scramble to check their camera feeds. In the magic box, Spike sweeps everything off the table. He's on top of Anya kissing her. And we cut to Willow, who says she thinks she's got the magic box and then says, whoa, the scene cuts to the geek trio. Jonathan is yelling, shut it down, shut it all down. Andrew's trying, but his fingers stop when they all see Spike and Anya on the screen. Jonathan says, oh my God. One of them asks if it's porn, but then they realize it's the magic box and Jonathan says, Spike? And Andrew says, he is so cool. And I mean, the girl's hot too. Anya and Spike have sex on the table and the camera pans to a skull that is level with them on a shelf and there's a camera inside the eye. At the Summer's house, Xander moves toward Willow who tells him to wait and then says no as he reaches her and sees the screen. Buffy joins them. He says, oh God. Buffy also looks shocked. Dawn walks in, asks what's up and joins them. She sees 
Anya and Spike, and then Willow tries to block her view. Willow notices Buffy's stricken look, but Buffy says it's enough and leaves. Willow is still at the screen and tries to say they're not sure what they're seeing, but she looks up and no one's in the dining room with her. Xander went out the front door, Dawn followed Buffy out, and now Willow goes into the living room and sees the weapons chest open. At 35 minutes, 35 seconds, Xander strides purposefully through a darkened street carrying an axe, and we cut to a commercial. In the summer's backyard, Dawn stands and Buffy sits on a bench and Dawn says, so this is it? This is the stuff you've been protecting me from? You and Spike? Buffy says, and a lot of monsters. Dawn responds, I wish you had told me. Buffy says, kind of didn't want to admit it to myself. And Dawn says, I get that. And she's very empathetic here. She says she knows for Buffy it must hurt to feel like she has to hide and keep secrets. I love Dawn in this episode. She's intuitive. She figures it out about Buffy and Spike by the way Buffy looks. Also, if we go back to season five, Dawn was the first one who realized Spike was in love with Buffy. And she is very kind. She could have said, that's what you're protecting me from in a sarcastic way, but she isn't. She's gentle. She's putting herself in Buffy's shoes and she's conveying that Buffy didn't have to keep this secret from her. Dawn also did hear Buffy say during normal again something about uh, sleeping with a vampire she hates. So that too would have helped her put it together. But this really is a Dawn who feels like the opposite of last episode. And perhaps some of it is she really could not construe Buffy's reaction as being about her. And she and Buffy did have that bonding earlier in the episode. And Buffy clearly is trying to reconnect with Dawn. There is some mild conflict in that one, they can't find a shopping place to go together because of Dawn's shoplifting and Buffy is kind about that and here there's some conflict because Buffy didn't tell Dawn but Dawn is kind to Buffy so that is a conflict that is not mutually exclusive goals but it is a good example of how all conversations in your stories should have some amount of conflict because that's what keeps them interesting but it doesn't have to be the characters completely at odds. Willow interrupts to tell them that Xander is gone and she says quote he took your axe end quote. That line has always felt clunky and over dramatic to me. I, I don't know why I just feel like maybe if she said and and he took weapons but he took your axe feels like it's out of some really bad B-movie, which I suppose calls back to how campy Buffy was in the first season in particular. At the magic box, Spike and Anya dress in silence. She looks a bit sad. Spike heads for the door, but he stops, looks at her, and, and nods, and it feels like a feeling of respect between both of them, an acknowledgement of how well they understand each other and understand what this was for them. It's an emotional scene. It feels like both of them are moving on, and there is a lot of tension for the audience. This is dramatic irony where we know something that they don't. We know Xander is on the way with an axe. One reason 
I did not find Entropy quite as engaging the very first time I watched it as I did on every rewatch is that the audience doesn't find out there's a camera in the magic box until very shortly before Willow and Xander and Buffy find out. People quicker than me maybe guessed that that was going to happen. Uh, I may have guessed when we started seeing multiple feeds, but there isn't quite as much tension on first watch at the same time that's why Buffy is so amazing to re-watch because there certainly was plenty of other conflict there was so much going on so much movement in all the stories so it just adds another layer when as the audience re-watching we know as Spike and Anya get closer and closer that the others are going to see it. Now we get more wonderful use of cutting scenes. We see Spike from inside the store. He opens the door. He's about to step out and it's very calm and there's been this nice exchange of looks between him and Anya. And then there's a very quick cut and at 37 minutes, 27 seconds, the camera is now outside the door and we see Spike open the door, the lighting changes and Xander swings an ax and it embeds in the wall right in front of Spike. So we we move from that calm, that place of peace and some amount of comfort and moving on to Spike coming out and an ax being swung in his face. This is the start of the climax where the opposing forces have their final confrontation. And this climax will cover Anya and Xander, the main plot, and Buffy and Spike, and the running season-long arc of Buffy's friends finding out about her and Spike almost all at once. Very powerful climax. Xander throws Spike to the ground and then picks him up and throws him against a pillar. He punches him. He yells at him to get up and tries to goad him into fighting back. And Spike is not even defending himself. He reminds Xander of the chip. Xander says something like, well, that's too bad for Spike. And he's about to stake him. But Anya exits the shop and tells him to stop. This makes him pause for just a second. And Buffy arrives and grabs Xander and throws him out of the way. All four of them are breathing hard. Xander doesn't let Anya say anything else. He tells her don't even try to deny it. She's puzzled how he knew about her and Spike, but then she says it was just a thing. She felt bad and, quote, he was just there, end quote. Spike is the only one of the four who is not standing upright. He is hunched against that pillar, and I so feel for him because it was more than that between him and Anya. They connected, they comforted, and understood each other. And yet, I understand why Anya says it that way to Xander. She's upset. She's trying to explain. But it must make Spike feel terrible. And we see that in his body language. And Buffy now looks at Spike when Anya says he was just there. And she says, didn't take long, did it? Xander says, oh, okay, then you had to do it because he was there like Mount Everest, like I used to be. And I really hate Xander here. I'm so happy that Anya is going to call him out on all of this because, yes, Anya did say earlier to Spike that, well, I just I just wanted a tumble. I just wanted to use him. But that is definitely not the issue in the relationship. It 
very quickly became something more for her. And Xander was the one who was holding back more, was not all in, and then, of course, who left her. This is also another mirror of Spike and Buffy because, yeah, we see Buffy here. She's upset. She told Spike to move on. And now she's upset that it seems like he did immediately with Anya. But she has been telling him this for a while. It is a contrast to how she felt about the vampire he brought to the wedding because she told him it hurt, but it did not seem to hit her the same way, probably because, as she said, it was a very nice attempt at making her jealous. That was about Buffy. Spike and Anya was not. Spike did not know Buffy would find out. He never intended, as far as we know, for Buffy to find out. He was not doing it to get back at Buffy. He was doing this for himself and to be there for Anya. The difference between Spike and Xander is while Buffy does say that and convey her hurt, she is not saying all the horrible things that Xander throws at Anya now. Though, of course, she has done that in the past, so there is still some parallel there. Now Anya is angry again after Xander said that, like I used to be, and she points out, and then you weren't. You left me, Xander, at the altar. I don't owe you anything. And Xander says, so you go out and bang the first body you can find, dead or alive? And Anya says, where do you get off judging me? And I say, yay. Anya. Xander says, when this is your solution to our problems, I hurt you and you get me back. Very mature. Of course, Anya probably didn't mean him to see it either, so it wasn't about Xander. And Anya says, no, the mature solution is for you to spend your whole life telling stupid, pointless jokes so no one will notice you're just a scared, insecure little boy. Also very valid point. And Xander says, I'm not joking now. You let that evil, soulless thing touch you. You wanted me to feel something? Congratulations. It worked. I look at you and I feel sick because you had sex with that. Which again, Buffy isn't saying that now. It wouldn't make sense in this context, but she did essentially call Spike that and he is still hunched over. Buffy blinks when Xander says that. We can see it hit her and Spike for the first time straightens up and says it was good enough for Buffy. I love that this is the way Spike says it, and I don't believe he's saying it to hurt Buffy. He may even regret later that he said it, but he is saying it to speak up for his own self-respect. Like, look, Xander, you were saying these horrible things about me to Anya. Well, your friend Buffy was with me, and I am not just an evil soulless thing now they all stare at Buffy she looks stricken and says Xander he drops the stake says he doesn't want to know any of this boohoo Xander and stalks off Buffy looks after him then gives Spike a look and I'm never quite sure what it means she's clearly not happy he said that but it doesn't feel like she is entirely furious at him. It feels like maybe she gets why it came out then. And Spike nods at her, which also feels like a little bit of a respect or I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm really curious what any of you think about his nod, but he seems to be signaling something. Maybe that he didn't do it to hurt her, but now it's out and she walks off. We're now at the falling action where we tie up loose ends and 
resolve subplots, Spike finally starts to make a wish. So we get the third time that somebody is going to make a wish and Spike says, bloody Xander mucking up everything. You know, I wish. And now Anya says, don't. And maybe this isn't falling action. Maybe this is the resolution. What came before resolved things with her and Xander because she and Xander had it out. Anya said all the things she needed to say and I think was very justified in saying. But this may be the moment where she truly resolves her feelings in the sense of no she's not going to feel great after this but she is willing to live with that hurt and that pain and that anger without dulling it as Spike wanted to dull the pain she was dulling it through vengeance through seeking literal physical revenge and now she recognizes that is not what she wants to do. Anya has so much growth in this episode from confusion and sadness mixed with anger and hope that things could work with Sander, then the veer toward rage and vengeance, then being vulnerable with Spike when she finally gets to talk to someone who understands her, admitting how she feels, how hard it is, seeing what's behind her need for vengeance, and now acting on that, choosing not to take vengeance when she has the chance to achieve what she set out to do. Spike and Anya exchange a look and they both leave walking separate directions. We get a shot of Buffy from behind as she walks down the street and then of Anya inside the magic box starting to straighten up the chairs and put things in order. Kind of doesn't fit continuity wise because Anya walked away from the shop. Both she and Spike walked away from the shop in different directions but this is the first time I ever noticed that. And it is a lovely scene because as Anya is trying to put things in order after the chaos, Tara's voiceover says things fall apart. They fall apart so hard. Then we cut to Willow's bedroom. Tara is standing in the doorway talking to Willow who's sitting on the bed and asks if she's okay. This is another relationship that contrasts Anya and Sander and Buffy and Spike. So Dawn and Buffy did in a minor way. They offered each other support and sympathy. And here Willow and Tara are a foil for all the conflict because they are now reconnecting. Also Spike and Anya connected as the other relationships flew apart. Tara now says it takes time. You can't have coffee and just expect. And Willow says she knows. And Tara goes on, there's just so much to work through. Trust has to be built again on both sides. You have to learn if if we're even the same people we were, if we can fit in each other's lives. It's a long and important process. And can we just skip it? Can you just be kissing me now? Willow stands and the two embrace and kiss and we go to credits. And that is it for entropy other than foreshadowing which does include spoilers if you have not heard enough about season six Xander and you're a patron you can listen to the bonus episode about what Xander should have done in season six and whether he could have salvaged things with Anya before the wedding 
That is on patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash L-I-S-A. M is in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. If you are not already a patron, you can join for as little as a dollar a month and you'll get bonus episodes plus early access to the regular podcast episode at least two days early for everyone if you prefer to listen on the weekends. If you're not sticking around for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to those patrons who support the podcast. Come back in two weeks for season six, episode 19, Seeing Red, where Buffy comes face to face with a nearly all-powerful Warren. Spike attacks Buffy and Warren seeks revenge on her. we are back for foreshadowing which does include spoilers so much foreshadowing here for spike and buffy he's telling anya he'd never stoop that low as xander did and he's an evil soulless thing according to some people and he tells buffy the way he feels about her changed him but she won't see it in seeing red spike assaults buffy and leaves at the end of the episode we think he's leaving to find some way to take vengeance on Buffy but it will turn out he goes to get his soul back because he believes that will mean he could never do something like that to Buffy. I do think that is what the series is positing that because Spike has no soul he did not really change. Buffy is correct. He is still an evil soulless thing just held back by a chip and that is why he sexually assaults Buffy. I am not sure the overall philosophy of the show really fits that. What a soul does and doesn't do is something of an open question, but it does fit the arc they showed with Angelus. The soul makes a huge difference for Angel. My challenge with it with Spike is that we have seen him gradually change very significantly even when Buffy was gone and he could no longer earn points with her. It is what makes Spike such an interesting character, but seeing Red and Spike's actions there throw a lot of that into question. But it it is foreshadowed here. All of it is foreshadowed. The idea that Spike genuinely believes he's changed, but that maybe he has not or cannot change to the extent he would need to, not just to be with Buffy, but to be the person or man that he now sees himself as or wants to be. Tara and Willow reuniting doesn't foreshadow that Tara is going to get killed at the end of the next episode, but it sets it up in the sense of raising those stakes so high. It would be horrible regardless for Tara to, for Warren to kill Tara, no matter what. It would have a huge emotional impact, but this ratchets it up as high as it could possibly be because Willow finally is back with her. Things all seem good. And for the audience, it is the worst possible time. The characters finally have what they want. Willow seems to be in a really good 
good place. She found those cameras without magic. It didn't feel as difficult and awful for her as some of the things she did without magic felt earlier in the season. We believe that she can do this. We believe they can be happy. And then Warren kills her. And it's almost worse that it's an accident in the sense of he was trying to kill Buffy and he killed Tara. It's clearly not an accident. He makes a choice to use a gun and to try to kill someone. So it's not accidental. But the better word perhaps is she is not his intended target and somehow that makes it even worse it is partly that randomness of life that terrible things do happen the uh geek trio's one last heist at least what jonathan thinks will be his one last heist where they're going to stop an armored car and rob it is foreshadowed here in a minor way. Jonathan says that thing about this is it. They'll all go their separate ways. We don't know what it is they're planning. We don't know why that disc mattered. And and it turns out it only mattered to, I guess, locate where the truck is going to be, maybe. I'm not sure if that becomes clear in Seeing Red. I have not rewatched Seeing Red in a while. I don't think it matters. Like so many things with the Geek Trio doesn't really matter. But it is a tiny foreshadowing that they have something big on the horizon. And there is a lot of foreshadowing of a split among the trio. That Warren and Andrew are going to try to cut Jonathan out. That Jonathan is increasingly not just unhappy with their dynamic, but probably having some moral issues. His reference to Katrina there adds to the thought that Jonathan does not feel right about any of this and we will see more of that when he and Andrew go to prison he feels more moral responsibility and he does help Buffy because of it both in seeing Red he helps her defeat Warren and he later tries to help them stop Dark Willow now that's partly self-preservation but he genuinely seems to want to make up for some of what he did or at least feel that he he must try to do something not that he can make up for killing Katrina but that he should be trying to balance the scales a bit nonetheless he will run off with Andrew at the end of the season so he still is trying to evade responsibility but he has more of it than Andrew feels and Warren definitely feels none. The vengeance theme of this episode foreshadows Dark Willow, as does what Anya tells us about she focused on vengeance and anger when really inside she is so sad and so hurt and so filled with a fear that it was her, that Xander never really loved her. And this goes a long way to setting up and explaining how Willow will feel, that Willow's vengeance and focus on killing Warren and killing the other two lets her avoid all the pain she feels, which is overwhelming, and her fear that she can never feel the way she felt with Tara again, and that she has essentially lost who she is, that there is no Willow anymore. She is only Dark Willow, and she is only vengeance. So 
Anya's sharing with Spike lays the groundwork for that and foreshadows what happens in the face of devastating loss when someone has the power to seek vengeance and take vengeance and immerse themselves completely in anger and has the power to harm others with it. That is it for foreshadowing and for the episode. Thank you again for listening. Come back in two weeks for season six, episode 19, Seeing Red, where Warren and Andrew try to leave Jonathan behind. Spike assaults Buffy and Buffy defeats Warren, but he strikes a fatal blow in response. If you enjoyed this episode of Buffy and the Art of Story, please rate or review it wherever you listen to podcasts, tell a friend about it, or share it on social media. You can find back episodes of the podcast on YouTube or at lisalilly.com, where you can also find my mysteries and thrillers and the Buffy and the Art of Story books. If you'd like to connect or share your thoughts about Buffy, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Lisa M. Lilly or email me at BuffyStoryPod at gmail.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2023. All rights reserved.